Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 59. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering the last chapter in Prisoner of Azkaban, chapter 22, Owl Post Again. Or, as we like to call it, the government is the villain. We've finished Prisoner of Azkaban. We've read the words, we experienced the experiences, we had the opinions. Crazy to think we were three books down, but we open up this chapter with Harry and Hermione, you know, they've gone back in time, they've saved Sirius, so now they're rushing back to the hospital wing so they can have their alibi. Time travel makes me itchy. You know what I mean? Like, it just makes me so annoyed and uncomfortable. It's like when you leave the tag on the back of your shirt or you cut the tag, you don't cut it right, you feel it there and you just want to scratch at it. And it's like, that's how I feel physically when I engage in or observe others engaging in or read about poorly done time travel. It's itchy. I need to moisturize. Don't love it. They hear Snape and Fudge, I guess, going up to the tower at this point, And Snape is telling the Minister of Magic that he hopes Dumbledore doesn't make difficulties. And it's just like, he knows. Yeah, Dumbledore's like, he's like, as far as Snape knows, he just got a serial killer. And he's like, I hope Dumbledore doesn't like decide for some arbitrary reason or some like Harry Potter specific, this will be fun for him reason to just like destroy all this hard work I've put in catching the serial killer. That sure would suck, but be very in character for Dumbledore. And Fudge is just like, everything is swell. Dumbledore must be happy. Everyone is happy. Everything's going according to plan. And Snape is like, we are so fucked and you have no idea. Dumbledore's off doing stuff and Snape knows, but that, that was funny. So of course, when Harry and Hermione get back to it and Dumbledore is like, good job, kids. Snape, you know, just loses his mind. He's in all caps, losing his mind. He tried so hard. He did He did so many things. He went through so much. And he knew Dumbledore was going to thwart him. And he did. And poor Snape is just like, it doesn't matter what I do. It's inevitable. I do something good. Dumbledore decides, no, no, thanks. I do something bad. Dumbledore decides, no, no, thanks. Like, do I have impact on this world? He's having an existential crisis and he's outpouring it as extreme petty anger. And that's justified. I'm not mad at it. I mean, I'm going to give Snape a sucks point because he basically is just taking out all his anger on Harry when it's really Dumbledore that orchestrated everything. Absolutely. Harry like asked like, hey, can we let, you know, Sirius get away with it? And Dumbledore absolutely had the power to say no. Yeah. I agree. But Snape's not allowed to yell at Dumbledore because Dumbledore owns him. We also had Dumbledore gaslighting Snape because Snape's just kind of like, you know, yelling at Harry, saying it's his fault. And then Dumbledore's like, unless they can go back at, in time or be in two places at once. Like, and Dumbledore knows. He, he sent them back in time. Dumbledore is constantly gaslighting Snape. Constantly. Snape's like, Harry Potter's up to no good. Dumbledore, who knows Harry's up to no good and is encouraging <laughs> the no good, is like, no, Snape, you're overreacting. You're not thinking things through, Snape. And Snape's like, no, but like, this is, look at the evidence I've gathered about all of the things. This is not normal. This should be dealt with. And Dumbledore's like, no, no, Snape. That's not what's happening at all. And it's like, I understand Dumbledore wants Harry to go on his side quests, but there's a better way to engage with Snape about that. Like, don't tell him he's wrong or he's crazy or he's over-exaggerating in the cases where he's not. Be like, yes, but for reasons I can't explain, it's important that Harry did that and I needed him to do this. And I approved of it unofficially. And Snape will be like, that's fucking stupid, but at least you're acknowledging that I'm smart for noticing. Like, how hard is it to be like, good work noticing that? Yeah. <laughs> but it's going my way. Like, just acknowledge that he 
Ditta smart and he's not wrong and his feelings are valid. Can't have that. When it was funny that uh, Fudge tells Dumbledore after Snape kind of has like his, you know, freak out, yelling fit. Uh, he's like, you should watch out for that guy. <laughs> I mean, he's not. He sh- you should watch out for Snape, you know, but I mean, I'm always watching out for Snape because what else would I look at? Ugh. But <laughs> But yeah, he's quite unbalanced. <laughs> yes, very much so. Yes, Snape is quite, quite unbalanced. This is no, you have your, the line from Dumbo. <laughs> the thing is, dear listeners, I get real tired of writing all these long ass names. So like Minerva becomes Minnie and Dumbledore is long and I can't spell it. I can't spell Dumbledore. I never could. I never have. So it's either 27 spellings of his name differently throughout the notes or I shorten it. And today it's Dumbo. And uh, I'm talking about specifically the line from Dumbo about how Hagrid would really actually quite like it if there were dragons at the door, because the minister suggests that as it's suggested as an alternative to the Dementors next time they need security at the school. And even though I don't like good old Dumbledore, I do appreciate that in this moment. He's like, well, you know, Hagrid would love that. I'm like, oh, look, for one moment, he's like appreciating something that would make his friend happy. It's a terrible idea and they should not put dragons at the door. I bet like Pomfrey was like having like an aneurysm or something. That poor woman. This has been all solved. Except for like, you know, Snape. Everyone's happy but Snape. Should probably be the alternative title to the series. Everyone's happy but Snape. <laughs> Everyone's happy but Snape. But the next morning, Harry run her mind here, you know? hanging out, talking about the events of the previous night, and Hagrid reveals that um, Lupin's packing his office because he's leaving, and uh, Snape is the one who told everyone over breakfast that, you know, Lupin's a werewolf. So he gets a sex point for that, because, you know, heady. Absolutely. You should never out someone's personal medical stuff or anything like that. It's not your business. However, it I think, as much as I love Lupin, and I think he's an amazing teacher, he did forget to take his potion and like it is a huge risk to have that person who forgets to take their potion like that around students like i think there was alternatives they could have done something like had him be absent on the full moon and like leave hogwarts grounds and be somewhere else to prevent that risk like there are things that could have been done but in all reality Dumbledore does not make smart choices based on the safety of his students. And Snape knows that. He was just recently reminded that. He is correct in thinking just having Lupin on as a teacher and continuing to let him be there all year, even during the full moon, is dangerous. And Dumbledore will do nothing about it because he's proven he won't. So Snape's like, he socially engineers Lupin being kicked out, which is not cool for Lupin, but... He had very few options. I mean, I think Lupin would have resigned anyway. Maybe, which I would think is respectful. Because he did tell Harry that, like, he he said that he made, like, a serious error and he c- caused a lot of, like, issues. And he's just like, I, I wouldn't stay. And it's just, like, kind of Snape just kind of, like, made it even more so that he couldn't stay. It takes a very big person to do what Lupin did, I think. And Snape does not see Lupin as that big of a person. You know, like, he can't see that aspect of Lupin. And honestly, there's no way of knowing that this is what Lupin would have done. So, like, Snape went about it in a douchey way. Like, he should have said, Lupin, you cannot continue to teach here or else. I will tell everyone you're a werewolf because I'd rather you be embarrassed and shamed than people die. Like, there's a balance of how terrible each of those options are. So we could have done that, and he didn't. But I think leaving it all up to Dumbledore and expecting him to do the right thing is not 
a smart or adult or logical solution to these kinds of things. So you really do have to go about it in another way. Yeah, but uh, Harry's very sad that Lupin's leaving, so he goes to see him. I mean, me too. I love Lupin. He's such a good character. Yeah. I do think that, like, when Lupin's talking to Harry, he says, like, I am the most proud of all of what you learned this year. And this was, was really a big learning year for Harry. Absolutely. I mean, it's probably anything could be compared to last year be big for Harry, especially in Dark Arts. Because uh, Lockhart was last year, but um, Harry has learned a lot. He had to catch up on what he didn't learn with Lockhart, and then also learn a bunch of new things, and he learned some advanced things. So it really was... Harry's grown a lot from someone who did, like, no spells in book one. Dumbledore and Lupin bid each other goodbye, and Lupin kind of, there's kind of foreshadowing where Lupin says, I'm sure we'll meet again. There's also foreshadowing... When Dumbledore says that because Harry sort of saved mm -hmm. Peter's life by not letting anyone just kill him, that one day that'll come back to Harry and he'll like be rewarded or repaid for doing that. And it's a huge foreshadow really early on for book seven. Yeah, there may be a time where you are very glad you saved Pettigrew's life. Yeah. And it feels very intentional the way he says it. Like for sure the author was like, this debt will be paid off at some point in this series this guy will do something that slightly helps this guy not die. So when talking with Dumbledore, uh, Harry remembers the, tr the prediction Trelawney made during his exam. And he tells Dumbledore about it. And Dumbledore's like, oh, that means that she's had two real predictions. And I'm like, this would have been a great time for Dumbledore to be like, Harry, there's a prophecy about you and Voldemort. But no, he just says, oh, that's two real prophecies. Harry doesn't ask what the first prophecy was. Probably thinks it's something dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Harry, but Harry's more concerned about Voldemort in this moment, which is mean, like, Dumbledore had a segue in everything. It's like Harry's thinking about Voldemort and Pettigrew getting away and helping him come back. And Dumbledore's like, I'm not going to tell you about the prophecy about you and Voldemort. To be fair, Harry's 13. It's probably still a bit early to put that much pressure on him, I guess. That being said, Dumbledore should have, like, a book of things he should have told Harry. And when he dies, it's, like, in his will, here's the book of things I should have told Harry. I feel like there is an age-appropriate way he could have talked. But obviously, he didn't have to share everything with Harry. But yeah. I feel like him knowing bits about it would have been better than what leads to Goblet of Fire and, uh, or the Phoenix, where Harry doesn't know anything. And then it's only after the fact where he should have told him before and everything kind of goes the way it does. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, I should have told you this, like, years ago, by the way. <laughs> also, sort of on the topic of Trelawney's prediction, Dumbledore's like, wow, that's her second correct one ever. She should maybe get a raise. What does that say about <laughs> his hiring? He knows when she actually gives predictions twice in her entire life, it's done in a completely different way than how she thinks it's done, because she thinks all her fake predictions are you know, or her bananas ones are real, regardless of if maybe, like I said, there's ways to go along and interpret them that is correct. But like, as far as he knows, she's only ever been right twice and not conscious of it. So he's just letting her lie to these students. Like, what if you actually legitimately wanted to learn divination? I'm sure it's a very interesting field of work. And he's putting her up there. And I don't know if she's accurately teaching them divination. Yeah, well, he, he says that he doesn't really care about divination. Like, I think when he interviewed her, he wasn't really keen on having it. But like, she insisted upon it. And apparently because of her lineage, she's like, yeah, I'll go, go see her out. But like, he wasn't really. And then he only kept her around because she made that real prediction. And he's like, oh, I need I need her in my, my staff because... To keep an eye on her. Yeah, but he could have also hired another divination teacher or kept her on as the official Hogwarts predictor. It's very important that you make predictions throughout the school year. It's necessary. It's so important we couldn't possibly have you teaching the children. Yeah, doesn't care. I mean, he's full of bullshit and he doesn't bullshit in this case. 
He's like, ah, divination, who needs it? It's kind of like how a lot of schools completely devalue, like, arts and stuff. They're like, we don't need a real art teacher. We don't need a real, it's not like it's math. And it's like, but it matters. And that's the thing some people would be good at. How dare you deprive them of this? Dumbledore just uses, like, the school staff as just people he needs in, like, his general collection. He's building a squad, not a staff. <laughs> yeah, but that kind of wraps up Harry's uh, school year. You know, they win, like, the house championship again. It's just kind of a little tidbit in here. Yeah, and they contemplate who the next Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher might be and Dean Tomitz. Knowing that Lupin was a werewolf suggests next year, perhaps, a vampire. Love that. <laughs> Dean Thomas coming in strong. Yeah, and on the train back to Hogwarts, Harry gets a letter from Sirius. So safe. On the train full of students. Sure, it's because he doesn't know how the Dursleys feel about owl mail, but still, he's on a freaking train full of students. And Harry's like, you know what I should do with this obviously top secret letter from an escaped convict that everyone's still kind of looking for? I should read it out loud. And he does. He just reads it out loud. I mean, he's 13. <laughs> I like that Sirius's uh, letter vindicates Hermione that she was right that Sirius did send the firebolt. It just wasn't Jinx, but you know. Still, good for her. And, you know, Harry gets uh, permission to go to Hogsmeade legally next year. It's really cute and really funny because he could really only show that letter to Dumbledore. So Dumbledore has to tell Minerva. I bet Minerva doesn't trust him. And he's like, oh, no, I got permission from one of Harry's parental guidance figures that consented to him going. And she's like, show me. I don't believe you. You just want Harry to go. And because Harry is your priority, you're just going to make it up and lie to us all. Like, Serious? He gives Ron the wild owl. Wild owl. Yeah. it's. I don't think it's a wild owl. Maybe it's a wild owl. Maybe he stole someone else's <laughs> owl that was delivering mail. And he's like, yoink. But he gifts it to Ron, which is so sweet. And it's because he holds himself responsible for Ron sort of losing his pet, which was Scabbers the rat. And the cutest part, I love this, is Ron picks up his new little owl and holds it up to Crookshanks because he's like, clearly this cat is an excellent judge of character. Yeah, is it an owl? It's not a person. And Crookshanks like, thumbs up, purr purr. It's an owl, nothing nefarious. And Ron's like, cool, cool. New, excellent, top tier judge of character. And honestly, most of these people are horrendously bad at judging people's characters. They're led astray all the time. So it's good to know there's someone close to the golden trio whose opinions we can trust. Cats are generally good judges of character in my opinion. I agree. I would agree with that. I have a dog and she loves most people and she loves some people that do not deserve her love. <laughs> so Cats will tell you the truth. When they get off the train at the end of the year, they're back at King's Cross. The Dursleys are there. The Weasleys are there. And Harry tells the Dursleys, he's like, good news. I have a godfather. He's an escaped murderer. He's on the loose. He's keeping an eye on me. So if I'm a little too unhappy, he might intervene. Yeah, I love Just it. Just so you know, I'm like, absolutely threaten them. Blackmail. Yes. Wield Sirius like a mighty sword of murderous anger. I love how that goes into Goblet of Fire. Where you're just like, like, you better tell your godfather that you're happy and you're you're good. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love that he does that. It's such a, it's a very Slytherin thing to do, I think. Yeah, and that's basically the last chapter of the book. Just going to talk a bit about how we feel about this book. Opinions, comments, concerns, questions. So one of the things I find incredibly interesting that sort of separates this book from all the others is Voldemort is not here. He is not the big bad in this book. Yeah, Voldemort's gone. The thing that sets into motion sort of all of the plot and the risk and the danger is kind of the actions of Harry. Because if Harry just sort of minded his own business, went to class, played Quidditch, 
he could have honestly had just like a normal year. He's not running around out there at night trying to get up to anything. So he doesn't run into werewolf Lupin. None of the Peter stuff happens. He doesn't go looking for Sirius accidentally on purpose. Like he just is like minding his business, relatively normal school year. Someone's trying to break into the castle. Hopefully security works. Like he really makes the choices that lead him into the danger, which is so interesting because we're so used to being like, Oh, it's almost the end of the year time for Voldemort to try and kill Harry. And it's so interesting that this book, especially one of the early on ones, sets the precedent like sometimes it might not be Voldemort, but also then it kind of opens up the question like there kind of is no big bad. Like who is the villain in this? Because Sirius is depicted as the villain, but he's obviously good and he's never, never a threat to Harry. Mm -hmm. And then Peter is like actually the bad guy. But he has no immediate plans to kill or hurt Harry. He doesn't act against Harry at all in the books. If Harry didn't try and catch him, he would have just, like, been a rat for a while, maybe turned into a human and disappeared. Oh, no, where's the rat? Like, not actually threatening Harry in the foreseeable near future at all. So then, like, when you think about it, really the only physical threats to Harry in this book are the Dementors and then, like, maybe Lupin and Wolfhorn. And so... I kind of think that maybe the closest thing we get to a big bad is the government, which is incredibly relatable. (laughs) Yes. But if we think about it, like, they kind of let the killer escape their custody. They assign the Dementors to Hogwarts. They convict Buckbeak and sentence him to death. They side with Draco in that court case. So all of, like, the key bad things that happen, sort of, are brought on by the government. Yeah. They're also the ones that convicted Sirius without a trial, so... Yeah, exactly. I find this government to be very villainous, and I find that quite relatable. Yeah. I do think that this book kind of establishes that it's a series, and this book doesn't really have a main, like, villain character like the other two. So it's it's kind of setting things up for the future. Like, we already... We get, like, the hints of the government's not, you know, the good guys all the time, which plays into Goblet, or Goblet of Fire and... Uh, or the phoenix and also that voldemort is around but he's not quite ready to come out yet <laughs> i thought like this book was kind of like we always talked about how each book's kind of established like one part of like the series so we talked a lot about uh chamber of secrets establishing the greater wizarding world like away from hogwarts and this book is uh kind of really exploring that but also more about harry's parents his dad as we meet his dad's friends and also just like harry's emotional needs for a father figure and really shows like the maturing of the trio and like how they're growing up and like how their needs are different they're not quite children anymore yeah preteens yeah teenagers and like they're uh, they have hormones they have crushes and just like the way like they handle things is definitely not like as um immature as they were in like the first two books and there's more um, maturing themes as, like, this is kind of, like, the introduction into Goblet of Fire, which is definitely a big, bigger mature maturity range. Indeed, yeah. They definitely start weaning us on to, like, I mean, the plots get darker and heavier, the consequences get bigger, but also the interpersonal relationships become more adult. And, like, puberty, the next true villain of the next three books. Yeah, the real villain. It's not Voldemort and Call of Fire. It's puberty. I mean, I'm not wrong. So what are your overall thoughts on Prisoner of Azkaban? I I think it's a great read. I love the book. I think it's a good transition. I think it's a bit weird how big the book, this book differs from the next one in size. Like it feels like this book should have been a little longer and then book four should be a little bit shorter just to like wean the reader's 
on a little bit more smoothly. Like the stack of books is so heavy. <laughs> um, I also think that for this book particularly, I kind of love that it has just the most Scooby-Doo of all climaxes. It's the rat. Unmasks the rat. It's not the rat. It's that guy. Like, it's a dog. <laughs> it's not a dog. It's that other guy. It's just a very Scooby-Doo to me. And I find that really fun and wholesome. Shay has made a very nice Scooby-Doo-esque uh, edit that I'll post on the Instagram. It's quality, quality quality work i always said like in the beginning when we started this book this is books like my favorite i think a lot of it has to do with nostalgia but it is like i definitely love it not only for nostalgia reasons like i love that like the supposed big bad is innocent because it kind of shows that the government's not all like the, the good and like equal that it like actually is and i think for a lot of kids like learning that the government's actually like bad sometimes is kind of like a my like a really big eye-opener yeah it boggles the mind but it's it's really good to teach kids that kind of young that you know what yeah, the big themes of corruption in this book especially with like buck beak and everything like it really shows that the kids are getting older and they're learning like there's not always a solution to things and adults can't always help them and i obviously love learning about the marauders and the introduction to Sirius and remus who i really like in the series i love the introduction to the marauders i think it's so interesting i think it like really does another great job of opening up the world and making it feel bigger like we're expanding geographically learning about different wizarding cities the government things like that but we're also sort of expanding back in time now and understanding that wizards aren't everywhere they're everywhere as well <laughs> going going back into the past although we both agree that the time travel was terrible but going back into the past to the murders is like i like learning about the murders not so much the time travel part exactly it's the it's the learning about the past part not the going into it my favorite characters from this book have definitely been serious and remus because i love learning about their past and then yeah i just feel like they were great additions to the series who are your favorite characters i mean i know what's going to be snape but um so gotta ask. <laughs> oh, my favorite characters in this in this particular book. I mean, listen, Snape does spend half the book being the only actual adult who's like truly paying attention. Like he's catching on to things. He's suspicious. Sirius is breaking in. He's contemplating Lupin could be involved. Like he really is the only adult truly doing it. And we need to respect that, even though he did it while being an asshole. But also, new character-wise, obviously, I really, really enjoyed Lupin. Getting to know him, seeing someone who's nice, getting that glimpse at how Harry's parents were, what they were like. It's 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 beautifully done. He's a really good character. Mm -hmm. Yep. So some of my favorite moments from rereading this is uh, the Peter Pettigrew reveal, which I, I remember being a kind of different reading it, but obviously I was a kid then, and I think it, it was still pretty fun to read it. And obviously Lupin teaching Harry the Patronus, it's very like emotional, but also like really cool to see some like really advanced magic this early on. And I also, looking back, I loved Harry's moment where he thought he was a fugitive and was on the run because it's such like early like kid shenanigans that we don't really get in the later books because it gets so much darker. But just like this crazy moment where Harry just thinks like, oh, I need to run away because I'm a fugitive now and I'm going to get arrested. And it's just like the shenanigans of like the things you think about when you're a kid and like consequences and stuff like we don't get that later on and it's just so funny yeah it kind of like he really does step up a lot maturity wise in the next book so this is kind of our last hurrah of harry really just sort of doing childlike things yeah and so it's nice to see him behaving like a child and not doing that thing a lot of books do where they're like this is the lead character so he's going to be very mature for no reason whatsoever harry's a dumb kid sometimes and i'm here for it <laughs> yeah you're gonna lose harry's innocence in the, in the next book <laughs> so it's nice to have kid harry you know 
being a kid. Exactly. It's what we deserve. What are your favorite moments? Gosh, I love Hermione hitting Draco because he yeah, deserved it. That's, that's a classic. It's a great moment. I also just personally kind of love that Snape knows. <laughs> he knows. How it's going to go with Dumbledore. Like, he just knows. He's doing everything he can to have the resolution come to what he sees the right way. He's putting in the work. He's paying attention. He's keeping an eye on things. He's being very, like, proactive in resolving the problems. And yet, the whole time you know he knows, and at the end he flat out says, Dumbledore's going to fuck this up. He's going to make some internal personal decision based on his mood or Harry Potter and just completely screw this whole thing up. And he does it anyway because he's trying. And you got to respect him for trying, despite kind of knowing that Dumbledore is just going to ruin it. <laughs> because Dumbledore is a ruiner. But uh, some of my favorite chapters from this book were the Night Bus and Leaky Cauldron chapters, where Harry's, you know, a runaway and a fugitive on the run. And also a cat, rat, and dog. And kind of just like the shrieking... Sh- Shack chapters where Lupin and Sirius kind of go into like the backstory of the Marauders and like what happened and why Sirius was arrested and everything because that's really interesting to me. Yeah, I love the night bus. I think it's such a weird like we get a lot of consistent settings throughout the Harry Potter franchise, the same sort of places at Hogwarts and like the Shrieking Shack's a bit new too. But the night bus is just completely crazy, mind boggling. It's not like kooky wizardry that they try and get across through Dumbledore's personality a lot that doesn't come across very well because Dumbledore is such a manipulative asshole but like the night bus is just like that level of like goofy kooky wizards can travel in all kinds of ways and they have this weird squishy bus for reasons and I'm like absolutely of course they do I love the look at the whimsy kooky things you don't get the as much in the later books because it's so focused on like Voldemort stuff but the night bus it's a great addition so you have your favorite class is defense against dark arts and i am inclined to agree because what actually i should put one of my favorite moments is like the way lupin teaches that first uh class amazing i feel like he has a great teaching style he really does have a very very good teaching style i respect it i he's a good teacher he's a good person and it was really fun because it's just like the first year we get like actual content for this class because the last two books like it was a bad guy, really, that was running the class. So this is like the first time we actually get like a decent like Defense Against the Dark Arts class like content. We learn. We learn what classes are supposed to be like <laughs> as the reader, you know? One of my favorite locations, obviously, is Lupin's office because I like how he styles it where he has all his like little creatures and stuff and everything. Generally, I'm just like obsessed with Lupin <laughs> from this book. I mean, fair. I also like his very collegiate but frazzled vibe. Like he takes all the clean cut you expect of like dark academia and just like runs through the woods in it, rips it and spills coffee on his shirt. And then you're like Lupin. I also like the Leaky Cauldron as well because I just love like inns and like... You just love a pub. (laughs) Yeah, a pub. You're a pub girl. (laughs) But uh, obviously I think we both have the same idea that uh, our favorite professors are Lupin. Yeah, this book, he absolutely stomps it. It's like Snape is my favorite character, but he's never going to be my favorite teacher because he hates teaching. You know, I mean, I could enjoy one of his classes, but not for the reason he wants me to. I'm just a general menace to society. I would get a kick out of it, you know, but. There's also not a lot of McGonagall in this book, but generally McGonagall is generally one of my favorite professors anyway. I think this is her most negligent as an adult. I think this is the probably and maybe one of the only times I look at a McGonagall choice and I think I don't know if that's the right choice and it was giving a time turner to a 13 year old and encouraging her to overwork herself 
Um, I don't know if like maybe she was playing a long game and she knew this was the kinds of things Hermione would consider in the future because of how committed Hermione is to learning and like peak academic performance. And she thought introducing it to her now so she could realize that like finding loopholes to do more isn't always the best choice. Like maybe it was a learning moment that McGonagall took a hold of. Yeah, you can do too much. Yeah, just because you could do it doesn't mean you should do it. And like, maybe that's part of it. But I couldn't see Hermione being like, hey, Minnie G, how about a time turner? So, I mean, maybe that's what McGonagall is doing. But I think this is like her her most negligent as as an adult, who is normally the most reasonable. Yeah, still, at the end of this book, I still don't get why they had Hermione do that. The introduction to Hermione having a time turner. Our whole point of this book is the time travel was dumb. But um, still. Yeah. You could honestly completely remove time travel, come up with a really quick and easy way that they rescue Buckbeak and Sirius that isn't time travel, and still have everything else be the same. Last time we'll talk about it because it is conveniently not in the rest of the series. Gone. I also have a MVP ranking for this entire book, and it's Crookshanks the Cat, obviously. While Snape does keep up with what's going on, sort of, and is looking out, and is suspicious of Lupin, which fair, and is looking into things, which is good of him, he's kind of an asshole, and he doesn't have everything figured out, obviously, because his conclusions are wrong at the end. Crookshanks, day one, was like, this dog, he's cool, we're friends, not gonna eat me, let's be pals. Day two, this rat, hella suspicious, don't think I'm on board with that. Gonna help this dog eat this rat. And like, Crookshanks was correct the entire time. You know, a Hogwarts education ain't worth nothing if the cat's the smartest one in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I honestly kind of agree with you that Crookshanks is the MVP of this book because, yeah, Crookshanks was just like right all along. And even though they, Ron tried to villainize this poor cat, he was right. That's why I say you always trust cats. Cats have no like allegiances. They don't have, they don't want to impress you like dogs do. So, one of the things I like to do at the end of a book is sort of do a power ranking of sort of who comes across as the most powerful. And it's not, it's not about who's the best wizard because sometimes the most powerful person is not a good guy. So this is sort of my, and I don't cover everyone. There's obviously people in between, but just some of the more interesting characters and where I think they fall. So for me, the most powerful person, character, the most powerful character is the cat. Crookshanks is the most powerful. Crookshanks, Sneaks out, doesn't get caught, manipulates people, manipulates grown-ass wizards, knows things, gets his point across, and nobody is ever the wiser to how next-level Crookshank's thinking is. It's all completely unknown to the people going on around him. So Crookshank's is the most powerful. Nobody even knows what level of thinking Crookshank's is on, so wouldn't he, couldn't even try to fight Crookshank's over it. Love that. Number two is Harry Potter, actually, because he actually does good magic. He does advanced magic. He does some next level thinking in certain moments, manipulating the Dursleys with Sirius, realizing that the Patronus is him and not his father. But also, it's Harry's choices and decisions to trust Sirius that get everyone else to trust Sirius. And it's Harry telling Dumbledore... But Sirius is a good guy and I love him that gets Sirius not killed. So Harry has a huge amount of political sway by simply being Dumbledore's favorite. And we can't not consider his political capital as valuable because he's wielding it. Um, then there's Sirius, no political capital whatsoever, but he escaped Azkaban. That's respectable. Uh, then it's Dumbledore. He is an asshole and didn't do much, but he did tell people what Harry wanted, you know? <laughs> I mean... 
He was, you know, moving the pieces, pulling the strings behind the scenes, as usual. But he did have political capital. The minister does trust his opinion. But then there's Snape, who did some smart things, but Dumbledore just decides he doesn't want Snape to succeed, so Snape fails. But in a world where Dumbledore doesn't do that, Snape would have had some big wins, personally. And he did some cool magic. I mean, he took on a lot of people at once, magically floating. You know, he did good. He did good work. He rallied. He caught Sirius at some point. You know, he did stuff. He was a jerk about it, but he did some, you know. And then I have like the very end. There's like a bunch of arrows. Like, okay, greater than, greater than, greater than, greater than. And then like right near the end, we have Peter Pettigrew who does like nothing. He turns out of a rat form and then into a rat form. But clearly that's the only thing he knows how to do. And he's a big baby. He's not good at manipulating people. He's not good at talking to people. Nobody likes him. Nobody respects him. Literally, Peter Pettigrew has no political capital and no physical manifestation or magical power. He's just... And the least power in the entire everything is good old Madame Pomfrey, who everyone disregards, disrespects, devalues, doesn't listen to. She's in her space where the primary goal is to do her job. People come right in, take the students out and get them more hurt and then push them back and then lie to her about it. This poor woman. Like we say, Madame Pomfrey, like... I don't know what she's going to do in the next book where they're like, we're bringing back this archaic like tournament. Hands in six weeks notice. (laughs) She's like, back to my my favorite part of the wrap up is looking up the Snape sucks points for the um, for this book and also the entire series. So I looked it up and for Prisoner of Azkaban, Snape has a total of 13 suck points. He was sucky 13 times. And so the total for the series so far is 21 and most of it is from this book. I mean, he did suck. But he also did some things. Here we have our character rankings as for the owl grading scale. Of course, we need to give them their grades, see how they did for school. So uh, for outstanding people who went above and beyond, Crookshanks and Madame Pomfrey. Crookshanks for the aforementioned reasons of knowing everything and figuring everything out and being on the right side of everything flawlessly. Uh, Palm free for not murdering anybody. <laughs> yeah, not quitting her job. I don't know how she does it. And then in the exceeds expectations, I have Harry, who learned again his second spell. Very impressive. He uses it. He figures out it wasn't his dad. It was him. He does the thing. He, it was more than I could have expected from him, given his performance in the other books. He learns a lot this year. I give the acceptable A to Remus Lupin. He's wonderful and I love him, but uh, he definitely doesn't necessarily go about everything in the right way. Um, should have taken his potion is basically what it comes down to. Remus Lupin should have remembered to take his potion because it was the full moon. And I know he was in a rush, but you got to be careful of those kinds of things. Giving Minerva a P for poor. I know she's normally fantastic, super fantastic. She gave a child a time turner. Time travel is delicate. She could have died. I mean, was that on her? She wrote to the ministry on Hermione's behalf, you know? Yeah, I guess. Uh, dreadful with a D. I'm giving Sirius a D for dreadful because he just, he might be powerful, but he is an idiot and he does a terrible job of explaining himself to such a point that he's like, yep. I killed your parents, Harry. It was my fault. And then he expects everyone to just calm down and be chill about that. And like, that's just not how you speak when you're trying to not get people to want to kill you, Sirius. <laughs> um, like, to me, he had time to plan out what he was going to say. He had a long time to plan out what he was going to say and went with, your parents' death is my fault. And thought that was a choice. Idiot. Also dreadful, Dumbledore. Do not need to explain. Idiot. Troll. 
which is the lowest possible ranking, goes to Cornelius Fudge. It was just completely useless. Dumbledore says this. Great, I'll do this. Lucius Malfoy says this. Okay, great, I'll do this. Yeah, but that pretty much wraps up uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, and we will be jumping into Goblet of Fire in the new year. And at some point, we will be giving you our uh, movie review for the Prisoner of Azkaban. Expect me to make inappropriate noises when I see Snape, and expect Tori to need a vomit bucket for when I make inappropriate noises, because I see Snape. <laughs> so we're going to take a, a short break for the holidays, and we'll be back in uh, 2024. Woo! Thanks for listening to this episode of Pottery visited and we'll be back of course in 2024 to jump into Goblet of Fire. If you have anything you'd like to discuss from this episode or previous episodes you can email us at podcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on social media at podrevisited and we'll see you next time. Happy New Year! Bye! Bye.